Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bit of a strange morning this morning. Bit of kind of trying to figure out what God is doing. Uh, that's kind of part of church and uh, gifts of tongues for those that didn't, as Christian explained, is quite a kind of one of those moments where you think, what's going down here? And we trust in God for the interpretation of that. Your, your personal gift of tongues doesn't need interpretation because that's between you and God. But a corporate gift of tongues needs interpretation. Otherwise, what's the point of doing it? Because you don't understand what he's saying. So it doesn't edify the body, doesn't edify the church unless it's interpreted. So that's, that's kind of how that works. And the Bible says that you, you should, anybody that has the gift of tongues for the public meeting should come up. And then if nobody comes up, they themselves should ask God and wait on the, on the interpretation for themselves. So it really is laid out very clearly in Scripture how we should do these things. And uh, we can trust in God all the time for Him to speak to us in varied and various ways. And um, it's a wonderful thing. God is speaking about freedom today. God is speaking about setting people free, setting our hearts free, setting our minds free, setting, setting us free to be the people that we call to be. And uh, it really is cool. So, something that I haven't told the greater church, or I haven't, we haven't, yeah, just haven't told, we've kind of processed with the eldership team and the leadership team, is that Heather and I are, beginning, are going to be going on some long leave. Yeah. Yay, get rid of you. Get rid of you. And, um, and the reason for that is because we've been in ministry for 20-something years, and uh, been leading since 2016 here, leading, planting the, the Glenwood site in 2011. And actually, we just need to reset. It's like, it's like actually meant to be part of the processes, uh, the kind of the, the Sabbath cycles of, of a, every week you have a Sabbath day. Kind of every seven years the fields have a Sabbath kind of thing. It's, and part of that is not, it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because there's something right with you that actually we need to keep pressing into God with what He has for us. And I love this text that Heather, that Heather found in Psalm 146. It says this, Attention all, see them. This is uh, 146 verse 8 in the message version. It says, Attention all, see the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, bands war from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across His knee. And this is verse 10, it says, Step out of the traffic, Take a long, live, loving look at me, your high God, above politics and above everything. Don't you love that? Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at your God most high, above politics and above everything. I love what he says there. And really, that's what it, we felt. We kind of processed at the beginning of the term with the eldership team kind of trying to figure out how long and all those sorts of things. And we said, well, maybe, maybe we'll go for six weeks or two months maybe, you know, and the eldership team said, no, you go for three months. So we processed that with, uh, with, uh, processed that with some of the guys that we relate to, and they also feel that it's right. So we're going to be doing that 25th of June to the 25th of, we'll be back preaching on the 25th of September. We're going to be doing that. And... Um, People have come and said, and, and really, please, please do, part of this is, please, please can you release us as the church? Number two, please can you pray for us? Because there isn't a very, very exciting season ahead for this church. And we need, we need to be on fire in God moving forward all the time. 
And really, this moment is just one of those reset moments for us to reset our rhythms, reset our hearts, reset our minds, reset, just take a long, long loving look at the Father. Get out of the traffic. Um, you know, the Bible says that when you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. And this is a moment for us to intentionally take our hand off the plow and look forward to kick the king. And so it really is, that's kind of the heart of it. There's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with our marriage. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm still sane, mostly. And I'm kind of, I'm there and I'm excited and I'm excited. And it's actually very difficult to go because I feel like the season that God's got us is a very profound one. But one, and then people have come and said to me, Stan, how can we help you? How can we help you? Must I tell you how you can help us? Number one, pray for us. Number two, be here and play your part. Be here and play your part. Because actually, if, we have, if we're building well, we've got leaders in place, we're going to be preaching through the book of Peter, one and two. I don't, I don't know when last we, we looked at the Apostle Peter's writings. We look, we're, very, we're very confident with Paul. We're going to be looking at, the, at one and two Peter, and we're going to be preaching through that book. We haven't preached through a book for a long time. And Peter is one of those books that is very good for the season that we're in with the th stuff that we've come out of with COVID and riots and floods and all those sorts of things. And we're going to see what God does to a people that are under pressure and what he speaks to them about the gospel. So we're going to look at Peter and it's going to be an, an, an exciting moment to, to really plumb the depths of God. Things are going to continue. People are going to, we just got to keep, as I said, you want to know how to help? Just be here. Play your part. Just do what you do. Do your serving. Do your stuff. Do your thing so that we can continue to receive people as God sends them. And uh, really, that is the heart. The, the heart of this is that actually we shouldn't skip a beat if we've done this well. And that's what, our, that's what my prayer is, that literally we'll just, we'll just keep moving forward. And before you know it, we're back again. I'm hoping it doesn't feel like that for us. I'm hoping it feels like that for you. But yeah, maybe you're thinking, don't come back, Stan. You know, that's another thing. But um, I'm coming back, guys, whether you like it or not, you know. But um, I really, really am excited for what God has for us. And, uh, and friends, this is, this is so important because the reasons why pastors, you know, you know the, I think the, the average pastor in the U.S. lasts four years, and then they're out. The reason why is that they don't take care of their soul. And what happens is you, 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 you're dealing with, often with people's troubles, And what happens is pastors end up burning out with compassion fatigue. Friends, I want to let you know, I've seen more bo dead bodies than you care to believe. It's like when you, you're in that space and, I, and you kind of just becomes normal, like praying there and the family and then somebody takes their last breath. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a profoundly holy privilege to be in that space with people. But let me tell you, it's, part of that is that you've got to find, you've got to step out of the rhythms of I never, of, of church life, I never want church to be business. I never want church, we're not in the church business, we're in the kingdom of God coming to man and woman and people business. Like we, and part of that is, when I've, 20 years in this, it so easily becomes, oh, it's just church, and we do the church business. I, we need a fresh, a fresh life of God all the time infusing what we're doing. And part of this is just a time to take, as this wonderful text says, it says, step out of the traffic and look at the Father. And so part of it is we are really trusting that we're going we're gonna to encounter God. We, we wanna, want God. We want God to feed us. We want God to, it's broken up into three parts. We're going to be disengaging for a bit. 
Then we're going to be feeding for a bit, feeding ourselves for a bit, and then we're going to be dreaming for a bit. That's kind of the structure of it. And we really are trusting God to meet with us that we can, we can just do this well. We wanna, we've got another 20 or 30 years. I'm 53, so 30 years will take me to 83. Yes, that's a flipping long time away. Dude, that is old, eh? It's like when you're 20, it's like 30 will take you to 50. That's okay, you know? Anyway, so, um, so really, I just, I just wanted to let you know that that's kind of, that's where we're going, 25th of, 25th of June. In fact, we're going to be in Nelspruit ministering that weekend. But from that we, weekend, we're hoping to get into somebody's um, game farm that we know and that we can just take some time there. God's, we, God's got this thing. We're planning it. So, so anyway, we're really, really excited, and please do pray for us, and uh, we trust that things are going to go well here, even better here than when we, were, when we would be here. They would go if we were here. Anyway, so this morning, it's been wonderful over the last few weeks to have Tyron here preaching and um, preaching, kind of getting this apostolic Chris here on the morning and in the evening, just profound moments of God speaking to us about this going and this about this thrust that the church is called to beyond itself. And... um, what I want to do this morning, I want, to, I want to kind of look at this, and then Paul spoke brilliantly last week about going, and about how, how key it is for the church to be going and to be sending. And this is a, this is a profoundly, um, you know, 1% of churches in the U.S. plant another church. So one in a hundred. One in a hundred churches in the U.S. plant another church. Friends, if God is doing what He's meant to be doing in the life of a church, we should be seeing leaders being raised up and released all the time. Paul said last week, he said, actually our goal is to empty the church every five years. That's what Chris Vinat, when he planted the church, that was, that was his heart. He said, Lord, let us be a resource for the nations. Let us take this beyond us into wherever. And you might be, not be that person that is going to go and plant a church, but you can be part of that in the place that you're in. Because this place needs to be a base for that to happen. And unless everybody gets on board with that, actually, and, and living and, la- and, and we need to be multiplying this kind of church into the nations. So you need to be multiplying the, a church that releases churches and plants churches and affects communities and ministers to people around us. It is the mandate of God over his people. And what I, what I thought I want to look at this morning is I want to quickly have a look at the church. And why we do this, and kind of this, this missional church, why, how, does it, how does it find its basis in the Scriptures? And um, John Stackhouse said this, When we, the church, are confused about who we are and whose we are, we can become, we can, we can become anything and anyone's. Let me read that again. I didn't say it well. When we, the church, are confused about who we are and whose we are, we can become anything and anyone's. So when the church, when we don't understand whose we are and what we're called to do, we end up getting tossed backwards and forwards in the wind and actually going with the winds of doctrine and moving, and we don't end up getting on with what God's called the church to do. Not only this church, but the church. And we see this right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, where the, 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 the cultural mandate is sent uh, given to Adam and Eve. And, he, and, he, and it's an amazing thing. He says, to the, he says to all the fish and the animals, he says, be fruitful. He says, he blesses them and he says, be multiplying and fill the earth. And a little bit later in, in verse 28 of Genesis 1, he says to man, to, to Adam and Eve, he says, be blessed, 
Now bless you, be fruitful, be multiplying, multiply everything you are and fill the earth and subdue it. And that word subdue is a horrible word now because it kind of has all sorts of connotations. But actually it's like bring order out of chaos. Be blessed, but you can't do anything without the blessing of God. But be fruitful. Blessing creates fruitfulness. Fruitfulness creates multiplying realities. And multiplying realities fill the earth and subdue and bring order out of chaos. Bring the life of God. Take what you have in the garden, Adam and Eve, and take it all around the earth so that the glory of God may cover the face of the earth. That's how it started. And then what happens is Adam and Eve fall. They, 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 they're more interested in ownership than stewardship. They not just want to be part of God's plan, they want to own God's plan. They want to be like God. Isn't that the case for all of humanity? People over people. We can't just see the grace and the blessing of people and receive them and be a gift to them and let them be a gift to us. We want to own them, control them. Nations do it to nations. People do it to people. It's the curse. It's the sin. It's the original sin of man. Not, not happy to be under God. We want to be God. It's stewardship. Instead of stewarding, we want to own it. And then what happens is God calls a, a, a pagan business guy. His name's Abraham from a faraway place. Moon-worshipping guy. He says, I'm going to choose that guy and I'm, I'm going to start a, a new thing with him. These people have given away what I gave them. They didn't want to steward it. They wanted to own it. So actually I said, get out of here. And, he, and kind of man, sin enters all the relationships that man has. Between man and creation, between man and man. When I say man, I mean mankind. Uh, in, in, in all sorts, of, it just destroys all this and separates all these things that are meant to be together in harmony. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call Abraham. Abraham is my guy. Please understand, Abraham was not a special priest kind of guy, religious guy. Well, he was religious. He just worshipped, worshipped not the God. He kind of believed in moons and things and had more power than the... And, and he calls him and he says, Abraham, what I want to do is I'm going I'm to bless you. And you are going to be the beginning of my seed that is going to enter the world. And this, 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 and this is what he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is profoundly important when we understand our blessing as a church. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. He calls him to go. Inherent in the very beginnings of the gospel, in the very beginnings of God's redemptive plan, is a going. It's going to your neighbor or going to the nations. Going across the street or going across the seas. It's going. It's not about out there. It's about in here with your colleague at work. It's about your schoolmate. It's, about, it's, it's in your all of life. Not some special forces crew that are, we're going to leave the going to them. No, it's all of us. I'm going to talk about that now. He says, I will make you, listen to the our wills. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. You see, God says, I will do something. And your job is to be a blessing. Very there, right there in the call of Abraham, in the, in the, in the announcement to Abraham. I will bless you in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. God promises to look after him. That's why the church doesn't have to fear. I will look after you, he says. 
I will bless you, and I'll take care of those that are against you. Don't worry. You don't have to fight that way. Just trust me. I will, he says, do that for you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I will bless you, and I will make you your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will protect you, and I'll come against those that come against you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's what he says to Abraham. Abraham then becomes a nation called Israel, who are separated unto God. This nation is God's people in the midst of darkness. This group of people is God's inheritance. It's, this, this group of people has a, has a special place, a special moment in God's heart. It's like this group of people are going to be the light to the nations. What Adam and Eve were meant to do and take their family and, and cover the earth. Now, I'm going to start again. I'm going to use this group of people. And he gives them the law at the Mount Sinai. He says, this is how you're going to live. This is the kind of people that you are going to become. You're a distinct kind of people. You're a holy people. You're going to be different to all the nations of the world. And actually, what I want you to do is I want you to be a light, a light to the world. The way you live needs to shine to the nations of the earth. And what happens is in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, God says this profound thing to them, which I th and many commentators, I, I agree, this is like the great commission of the Old Testament. And as he says this, you yourselves have seen, in Exodus 19, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. You know how big I am. You know how powerful I am. You've seen what I've done. You've seen my righteousness, my, my redemptive hand, my power moving. You've seen it. You know it. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. How I carried you and I, and I, and I brought you into my heart to worship me and to be with me. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, although everything is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says to them, you, you know who, what I've done for you. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm making you, to, you are my treasured possession. You are the apple of my eye, another text says. This, you are, you're a unique, special people. You're a kingdom of priests. You see, friends, the idea of having a few priests, God wanted a kingdom of priests. Priests were those that mediated the blessing of God. And so what he does is he puts this, this, this people, the people of God in place to mediate his blessing wherever they are and wherever they go. It's not for missions, special missions. That's the only time we really do the blessing of God. No, all of life, every part of you, every moment every, of every day is you are a treasured position. You're a kingdom of priests. Actually, we can hear God, take God, take people to God, take God to people. We can mediate the blessing of God. And you're a holy nation. Actually, you are distinct. We've been talking about holy. You're a distinct people. You're a unique people. There's none like you. Only you are like this in the whole of the earth. The whole earth is mine, but you are special. Now go and be those kinds of people. They mess it up. They mess it up over and over and over again. The whole of the rest of the Old Testament is God trying to fulfill this through his people, and they're messing it up because they want to be owners instead of stewards of God's blessing. Because they want to, they take their eyes off of God. They want to do the work without God. 
And they, they're continually in this, these cycles of being in a good place and being devastated, being in a good place and being devastated. God sends prophets to them. Prophets, come, come. And what happens is this group of people that meant to be unique, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, and a treasured possession to God, become, instead of them influencing the nations, the nations influence them. And they become like the rest of the nations. Right at the very beginnings of their, of their inception, God, they, God, they, they say, we want to be, we want a king. God never intended for them to have a king. God was their king. He said, we want to be like the rest of the nations and have a king. It's profoundly, we want to be like them. No, 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 you, they should be wanting to be like you. You're meant to be going there, not them coming here. This is, this is the other way around. And slowly but surely, they mess it up, mess it up, and eventually they go into exile. The northern tribe goes into exile. The southern tribe goes into exile. But in the prophet's heart, the, prophet, the prophetic word of God, God is always redemptive, friends. God never just finishes it. There's always a redemptive path out. Whatever you've done, wherever you've messed up, however badly you've messed up, there is a redemptive way back. You've got to find it. And, it's, and it starts with the name of Jesus. It starts with the person of Jesus because he is the ultimate redeemer. He is the ultimate reconciler. And him, that's where the, the, media, the blessing of God is mediated through him and by him and for him. And so it starts there. Always, never. Friends, you've always got hope. There is always hope because God is a hope. He's a living. Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus gave us a living hope. God's always redeeming. And, and God starts speaking to the people. He says, don't worry, there's somebody coming. There's a king coming. He's like David. He's going to be like David. There's a king coming, and when he comes, everything is going to change. Messiah was coming. Christ was coming. The anointed one was coming. And eventually Jesus comes onto the stage and begins to minister and begins to work and begins to identify himself as that Messiah. And what does Jesus do, friends? He, get, he begins again to re, reenact the people of God. He, he, you see, God always wanted a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Not a holy person or a priest. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God wanted a people to represent him. You see, what Jesus left behind, friends, was actually not the Bible. It was a community of people that were going to take his name. The Bible then came along and validated and put together so that we have something in the, in the text to know what happened and how to do these things. Profoundly, the Word of God. It's the way God primarily speaks to us, friends, is through His Bible. But, the, but Jesus, when He comes, He leaves this group of people behind and He calls them the church. That's us. That's us. We were designed right in the inception to take the name of God all over the earth. The mandate on the church is to take his presence, to take his life, to take his message, to take his redemptive plan, reconciliatory plan all over the earth. And it starts with your neighbor next door. It starts with your friend across the road. It starts with your family. It starts with all of our friends. I can't, I, I can't. That is why the table was so profound for us, friends. Because most of that engagement with the world happens around a table. It happens relationally. It doesn't happen primarily 
In fact, I think very badly with somebody standing on a soapbox at the edge of the street saying, you burn or turn or burn. It doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. That's not a good representation of the love of God. The representation of the love of God is when the people of God have a, people, have a heart for the people. And, the, and out of their love and, and, and good kindness and generosity, they begin to reach out and move and touch. And friends, do you believe that you are those people? Do you believe you are a kingdom of priests? Do you believe you are a treasured possession? Do you believe you are a holy nation? You know that, you know that the book of 1 Peter, just to make sure that we get the message, just to make sure that we've got it, the book of 1 Peter says this. This is such a, such a beautiful text. I love this. I love this text. The book of Peter says this in verse 9. 1 Peter verse 2 verse 9. Just to make sure that we understand that the full ark is in place. He comes and he talks about Jesus being the cornerstone and how actually we are living stones built into a building of which Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It's like we take our, we take our measurements off him. Can't start the building without the first peg, the first cornerstone. And in verse 9 he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What he does, Peter goes and he quotes Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. He goes and quotes that again, just to make sure that these people know. Remember what God had in his heart there with Abraham and the blessing? Remember what God had in his heart with Israel and, the, and Exodus? Well, it's in his heart for you. This is why you exist. You once, but you didn't have mercy. Now you have. Guess what, people? When you have something, when you've been blessed with something, what do you do? You bless others. You receive mercy, so you give mercy. It's how it works. It's how the transaction works in the kingdom of God. And then what happens is at the end of each gospel, at the end of each gospel, is, is our moments when Jesus commissions his disciples. So he lives his life. He gathers this group of people to him. And, and he says, what I want, what I want, you're going to be my, my seed you're going to be my seedlings into this thing. And what's going to happen is exactly I have taught you for three years, you're going to go and do the same to the nations. And you're going to take this message of reconciliation, this message of redemption, this message of God mediate, of us mediating the blessing of God where God gives his own blood, his own son for the sake of us so that we can be one with him again. He says, I'm gonna, you're going to be these people. And he, and he kind of starts, and each of, the, each of the gospels has it. So John chapter 20 is a great one. He gathers his disciples together and he says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I've got another two or three preachers on this. Because you go and look at the gospels, and you go and look at how the Father sent Jesus. What, he, what, did, what did God do? What did God do with Jesus that he expects us to now do for the sake of his people? One of the things is he embodied the kingdom of God in his life. It wasn't a distant theological theory thing. He embodied it. It was who he was. 
What I'm talking about this morning is who the church is. It's not what we do. If it's something that we do, then it becomes part of the program. Now, this is who we are. You are a treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a chosen people. You are a holy nation, church of Durban, church of the world. You are. And you're becoming more like. Because we never arrive. There's always more. He, has, he, he, he shows communion with his Father. He, he says to them, listen, it's because of the Spirit in me, not just because of who I am that you're doing this, which means you can do the same. He lived in the power of the Spirit. He announced and proclaimed the gospel and spoke to people and, and different people that had encounters on the road and he had encounters in the marketplace, mainly on the road and in the marketplace. And he even had encounters in the temple and he kind of has these moments. He lives by the power of the Spirit. He prays, he demonstrates, and he forms a community. He forms a community, friends, that will take this. Unless it's in community, it's not real. Jesus is perfect, so it's awesome to have a relationship with him. People are not perfect, so it's not so lucky to have relationships with others. But you never know if your love's real until it's tested. Never. God's love for you is self-sacrificial and always on. But love people's love for you and you love for, your love for them is not perfect. Friends, that's where it gets worked out. That's one of the ways it gets worked out. Anyway, in Matthew chapter 28 is this beautiful, beautiful text that many of us know so well. And it's, it's, called, it's traditionally called the Great Commission. But there are many commissions in the text. You look at Luke and, John, and, and Mark and all of them have got them. In Matthew 28, verse 16, it says this. Then the 11 disciples, remember Judas is gone now. Then the 11 disciples. When I read that, I thought, it doesn't say the 11 apostles. Many commentators say this text is the inauguration, is the initiation of the church. Because at this stage, they're not apostles, they're disciples. Remember, he's training them to be disciples. Followers of Jesus. That's what he's training them to do. Their gifting when he leaves because he ascends and he releases gifts on them, they become apostles and evangelists and teachers and prophets and pastors and all the... But this now, these are, he says to his disciples, you and me, but I'm not an apostle stand. I don't have to be sent. I'm not an evangelist stand. I'm not a... No, 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 disciples. All of us in this game. Everybody gets to play in this game. This is for a community of people. You'll see that now. He says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain. Jesus had told them to go. Remember, this is not the first time he's seeing them. He's already seen them in Jerusalem when they had the tomb thing and they rushed back and Jesus appeared in the... In the, in the this is the second time. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Listen, this is the eleven, guys. When the resurrected Jesus appears, the inclination of our hearts is worship. But in the midst of this worship, some doubted. This is not, this, these are the 11 or the 12 that he chose to be closest with and he journeyed with them all the time for three years and some doubted. I don't believe it was a very base doubt, but they, but they kind of, I think when they, were, when they saw Jesus again, it's like, is this, can this really be true? This is too good to be true. 
Lord, please, they're doubting, like, is this, is this right? Is this the Messiah? Listen, you've just come back from the dead, like, what's going on here? And one of the things they must have said is, Lord, I've denied you. I haven't been faithful to you. It's been a short time, but I haven't been faithful. I, I've messed up. The 11, friends. If the 11 can worship him and doubt, how much more you and I. If you're sitting here this morning and you're worshiping and you're looking at what's going on this morning, you're thinking, oh, oh this is what's, what's happening here. And there's moments of, no, Lord, actually, this is too good, too good to be true, actually. And, Lord, I've messed up the whole week. I want to tell you right now, Jesus is after you. Don't, don't, just keep pressing into him. Just keep pressing into him. If the 11 can do it, my gosh, can you and I. They saw him in the flesh. We haven't seen Jesus. We just know him internally, spiritually. They doubted. Then Jesus said to them, came and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now listen, if, if all authority and heaven and earth had been given to me, me, what would I have done? I, I mean, honestly, I think I would have just gone, re reboot, restart, you're gone, we're starting again. Surely that's easier. Surely. It's like, surely, like, all authority is mine. It's back. I've got it all. Right. Let's start again. Flood or fire or I don't know what. Just start again. Done. I'm done with this lot. You know what he does? All authority has been given to me on, in, on earth and on heaven. And all he does is because, you see, he doesn't, he doesn't start again. He's redemptive. He takes what, that which was broken and he fixes it so that his original plan continues to be and his grace and mercy are revealed even more. I hope that ministers to you. All authority was given to him and he saw our brokenness and he said, I've got a plan to fix you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to take you out. I'm going I'm to fix you and put you back together again so that you can be a holy nation, a treasured possession, and a kingdom of priests. It's absolutely profound. With all this authority given to him, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you know in that sentence, there's one command, there's three participles. What's the command? Let me read it again. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. There's one command, make disciples. Friends, the church has been given one command. It's like you've got one thing to do and you're messing it up. You know that thing? Like you've got one thing, but you just said one thing and you're messing it up. Like, friends, the vision of God for his church is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and a treasured possession to make disciples of Jesus. The three participles are this. I'll give them to you in reverse order. Teaching. 
You know, participles have got like, an, like a verb and an adjective thing. It's like an ing. I didn't, actually, I'm not good at English, but I kind of learned that when I was preparing for this. So teaching, teaching, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. Teaching them. Not teaching them for head knowledge, teaching them to obey, teaching them to live it out. Everything I've taught you, teach them to live this thing out in everyday life. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you have not been baptized, friends, you need to get baptized. Baptize, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they would die to themselves, come back to life and resurrection life. But you, it's, an immersion, it's an immersion in God. It's not a sprinkling in God. It's not a dot on the head in God. It's all of your body, all of your person down with Him. Baptizing. And you know what the third one is? It says go, but it's actually going. And the, and the, better, the better way of saying that is, as you are going, make disciples. You see, this is not about going to another nation. And what happens is mission has become going somewhere else. It's as you go, while you are going, while you are living, while you are doing your everyday work, while you are doing everything, make disciples. Some will go and plant churches, but most in their going, making. In your going, making. In your going, making followers of Jesus. In your going, baptizing them. In your going, teaching them to obey everything. And then I will be with you till the end of the age. Profound, eh? You notice there, they move from disciples to apostles. Call these disciples together. But after this, he then tells them to go and wait in the, in the, in the, in the room. And the power of God comes in the baptism, Pentecost. This Pentecost Sunday today, somebody just told me. Pentecost Sunday, they, they filled the room and they tongues of fire on them and it's like God is doing, and suddenly this, this church that was commissioned in Matthew 28 suddenly launches in power into the world around them. Friends, you are disciples. But every disciple has an apostolic going heart. Because, and, and friends, you know, when I, when I say everybody's a leader, I was in a church recently and they said, I said to them, I said, you've got to see everybody as a leader. They said, yeah, but Stan, not everybody is a leader. I said, no, 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 that's what the world says. Don't let the world influence you, let you influence the world. Everybody is a, is a leader. Everybody is called to make disciples. What is that? If you have the greatest leader on earth dwelling in your heart, in your very spirit, you want to bet you're going to become something of a leader. Your capacity might vary. Some will be leaders of thousands. Some will be leaders of tens. Your capacity might vary. But friends, everybody is called to be a priest. What does a priest do? Leads people to Jesus. Everybody's a leader, friends. Don't discount yourself. Don't, don't say, no, I am. You are a priest. You are a leader. You are a treasured possession. You're the apple of God's life. God, if somebody touches you, you're going to deal with God. Somebody touches the church, you're going to deal with God. It's profound, this, friends. Now take that and take it to the world. And every part of the way you do business, the way you teach your kids, the way you bring up your kids, the way you husband your wife, or wife your husband, the way, the way you do everything, Jesus infuses every part of this in your going as you go. 
My time is up. Second, if it's sent to all nations, friends, every local church, every local church has to have a nation's heartbeat. Make disciples of all nations. Now, there are nations in South Africa. There are nations in this church. Zimbabweans, South Africans, Malawians, Ugandans, Congolese, Nigerians, all sorts, British, American. Now, we can make, we make disciples of all nations just around us. That's why nobody gets off the hook. Everybody goes to the nations, even if the nations is next door to you. But some of us are going to be called by God to go past that into the nations. And we are going to be here supporting you, praying for you, hoping and trusting for you, and maybe even going with you. So that with that, you can become the kind of church that we are. Sent to all nations. This is a big one, friends. This task is assigned to a community, not to an individual. He doesn't go to Peter and say, Peter, I'm calling you to go and do this. Or to John. John, this is what I have for you. He says to his disciples, he says to his disciples, go and make disciples. This is not, you see, we live in such an individualized, personalized thing that we can't perceive that God would call a community to go. It's like, obviously, in the community, individuals are having personal moments with God and revelation, but actually, you know your way you disciple a city is for a whole church, a whole community to disciple a city. It's not about you and me acting as individuals. It's about us acting as a collective. I love what, I don't know who said this, but they said this. The entire New Testament sees the church as a contrast society which stands in sharp contrast to the world. You see, we are a holy nation. We're contrasting. I don't like the word contra, like we're running there and they're running at us, like when we end up with a collision. It's like we're not trying to have a collision with the world, but we are trying to be a contrast that people can see the difference. You see, we critique the world, but we also got to love the world. Somehow we've got to find that balance right there. We are a contrast society. I love that word. He goes on and he says, surely this mechanism of, and he says, uh, sorry, we must ask with regret how this fact could centuries for be so thoroughly suppressed by Christianity, this idea of being a contrast society. Surely this mechanism of suppression could ultimately function not because, the new, because of the New Testament's call to holiness was overlooked. So he's saying we're not being this contrast community. It's not because of the call to holiness, but because it was constantly narrowed to refer either to private holiness of the individual or particular groupings such as priests and, and the religious. I tell you what, friends, the reason why we're not being this people is because we don't see ourselves as a collective. And especially in the West, that is the case. Especially in the West, where it's highly individualized and highly personalized, is we don't think collectively. Africa has, a, has an edge on us, has a foot up on us as Western thinkers, being educated in Western ways. You see, he's not concerned with some people going. He's concerned with a people going, a community going. It's to all the disciples. And in your going, do what I've called you to do. And lastly, he says this. And this is a massive adjustment for Pentecostal charismatics. 
He says, he goes on and he says, I will send you and I will be with you to the end of the age. And the way Jesus is with us to the end of the age is by the coming of the Spirit, by the giving of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. You know, in Catholic theology, the Spirit is in the church. It's like only happens in the church. In Protestant theology, the Spirit is for salvation. It's like this evangelical thing. In the Pentecostal charismatic church, the Spirit is given and understood through the gifts working. The problem is, it's understood through the gifts working as individuals and personally. And it becomes about me and for me and by me. Instead of by me, for me, for the world. So we're more interested in having a gathering and falling down and experience the Spirit of God than getting out there and seeing God move powerfully. He says this, when you go, when you're moving, then I will be with you. I want to say this, friends, that actually there is a power of the Holy Spirit upon His people now that we are only going to experience out there. The Spirit of God is everywhere. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. And the gifts are meant to flow, and we, we have this moment, amazing thing. But friends, there's a power that is available to the church that will happen when it's on mission. When it's speaking to its neighbor and we're getting words of knowledge. Not in the front of the church, I've got a word of knowledge. No, in the moment, across the table, I've got a word of... I have this word, do you, does that mean anything to you? Gifts of healing, right there. No, you don't come to the front to get healing. No, you bring healing wherever you go. Do you get this? This is, this is like a, it's, like a it's, it's, it's so obvious and so simple, but friends, we don't think of it in those categories. We think coming to church to find the Spirit. You're a kingdom of priests, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, depending on which version you look at there, a holy nation, a treasured possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Go and declare the praises of Him who found you. That's the church. Friends, this is not something we do. It's something we are. Why? As you are going, as you go, as you move and be, move and live and have your being, do this. Exactly what I, what I did with you, do that for others. What I've given to you, give it away. I've blessed you, bless them. And stop worrying about what's coming against you. I'll take care of that. I mean, a strong language. He says, those who curse you, I will curse. I'm like, Lord, that's not cool. I thought you were a loving God. Yeah, but don't touch the apple of my eye. I'm a loving God, but you touch the apple of my arm coming after you. I tell you what, friends, and the church has got this, and we're going to stand here, we're going to declare this. We're going to, friends, you're the apple of God's eye. You want to bet that if you're not in communion with God, praying before God and intimate with God, that when things come against you, and all it is is God saying, no, that's enough. Come on, friends. Live in the reality of the text, not in the reality of our church cultures and our traditions. This is the power of God for those who believe. Are you excited? I'm extremely excited. In Jesus' name. Father, I ask you, Lord, I ask you, Jesus, show us this deep in our hearts, Lord. Let us believe this deep in our hearts, Lord. Let us be this deep in our hearts, Lord. Let us not be something we do. Let it be something we are, Lord. 
Let this be part of our belonging and identity. It's what we, it's just what we are. Ask your Holy Spirit. You did it for them in the, in the room. In Acts chapter 2. Won't you do it for us again? Won't you do it for us in our meetings? Won't you do it for us in our homes? Won't you do it for us in our beds? Won't you do it for us in our classrooms? Won't you do it for us in our workplaces? Father, will you do this? Will you send your spirit? Will you, will you bring power upon your people so that they can be this? Lord, we acknowledge we cannot do this without you. But with you, Lord, your name goes. It's not our name, it's your name. I remind you of that, Lord. I pray this morning you'd minister to people. As you've set people free, I pray you would set their minds free of some compartmental theology and systems of I'm not a priest and you're a priest because you get paid by the church. Father, I pray that you'd strip that off. Strip it off of us, Lord God. That it's us together. That when we're not here, the priesthood lacks. That together we take the nations. Together we go to the nations. I pray, Lord God, that you'd give people ways of going to the nations, even if they can't. Whether it be financial needs, uh, financially, prayerfully, uh, encouragingly, whatever it is, Lord God, prophetically, prayerfully. Father, will you just allow every single person to participate in this thing? In your amazing name. Amen.